Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So, so grateful you are here today. This podcast is for you, you who's sitting at home, you who is walking on the beach, walking in a forest, walking in an urban area, wherever you are listening in, in on your earbuds or whatever you use in your car. This is a come as you are podcast. So, so happy you're here. And thank you so much. Please share this with someone who who may be grieving right now. You may be in extreme grief, in upcoming grief, you're feeling you're starting to grieve a loss already or in some kind of uncomfortable state of being and you're not quite sure what it is. And why I'm doing this podcast is because people sometimes don't understand really what grief is. And grief isn't necessarily someone just dying. It's sudden changes in life, you know, we've just had COVID and, or we're still continuing on COVID. We have COVID. We don't, you know, it's getting better. We're out experiencing freedom. And then all of a sudden new variants have come up. So we're having to pull back again and wear masks, get vaccines, the polarity in this world, all this stuff can contribute to to grief. There are at least 40 plus reasons why we can experience grief today. So don't judge it. And I have this podcast today to share with you so we can educate you and bring on awesome people that will help you walk through it. And I think you'll enjoy it too at the same time. You wonder about grief, recovery, what the heck is that? Well, you're going to learn it on this podcast and it is possible. Usually before a podcast, I talk a little bit about what's been on my mind lately. And I am celebrating a, well, we have fall coming up. And it's on the 21st of this month, which is September. By the time you listen to this podcast, it will already be in the fall because it's going to be coming up in a few weeks. But I thought I'd share a little about the four personal seasons of life that we all go through. I believe it's called the circle of life. So I got this on the website and it's four personal seasons of life. There's the season of winter, sadness, heartbreak loneliness, sickness. We all could have been in the the winter. I know for sure the first six months or so or a year of COVID, I felt like I was in a winter, even though some good things happened during the winter of this season, personal season. It was difficult. It was a, a extreme change. I made the best of it, but I know for many, many of us who were alone, 
who didn't have family around, who may have had a loved one in the hospital with COVID, who may have lost a loved one in COVID, or maybe have had it themselves. This podcast is worldwide. I think about Afghanistan. When I looked at my stats for this podcast, I had some listeners from Afghanistan. I was just so thrilled. Oh my God, it went all the way. This podcast went all the way to Afghanistan. I have zero people listening from Afghanistan now. So I don't know what's going on there, but I'm sure they're not. It's not a country that's um, as open as it was before. And so what is your winter? What was your winter like? Are you in it? Are you just getting out of it? Then we have the season of spring, hope, new beginnings, opportunities. The flowers are starting to bloom. We're starting to bloom. I lived in Chicago. Right now I live in Los Angeles, but I lived in Chicago. We definitely had our seasons. Winter was winter, as we just talked about. And then the spring, everyone came out. You couldn't believe how many people lived in that city. Everybody's out smiling. It was so many people just happy, smiling in the parks, in the city, going for coffee, had their big coats off and just enjoying life. It was a renewal. People had hope. And even if you were single, you think, oh, I'm going to meet someone in the spring or whatever it is, whether you're single or married or whatever. But what does that mean to you? And then the season of summer, that's a sign of growth, need for protection and abundance of distractions. I love summer because we just go listen to concerts. That's one of the things I grieved during COVID is like live music. We go to the beach. We go to picnics. These are good distractions. I'm not saying that they're bad distractions, but we are out enjoying the world. I live in LA. We have we don't have a lot of seasons. We have seasons, but they're not as extreme. But still, I still enjoy the summer. It's a way to just sort of let loose and have some fun. And then now, at this time, as we're recording this, we're going into the season of fall. And again, by the time you listen to this, you'll be in your fall season. It means successes and achievements and failures. To me, I love the beginning of fall because it was like down to business. I love summer, but I got to go down in business. What can I do? How can I plan? What are my goals? How can I succeed? So I would start getting into a, a success mindset. And what are my next steps? Because I didn't have the summer for the freedom and vacations and all that, or planning for fun times. I was back to business. We all have to make a living. We all want to live abundant lives. We all want to live in our passion. And that means work too. And I'm work to me is not a bad word, but work to see, okay, what is my sense of purpose? I believe money is energy. I used to think about money as not something I put in the bank and save, even though I'm a saver and I invest wisely. But I always thought, okay, money to me is like how many people I've touched. Before I became a grief recovery specialist and a podcaster, I owned a business for 26 years, which I've talked about in early podcasts that I owned for 26 years. And I sold it. And I just remember this time of fall. It was like, okay, back to business. Summer vacations were over. Everyone was there 100%. So I love that. So I felt it was my successful time. What do the seasons mean to you? As I said, seasons of winter could be sadness, heartbreak, loneliness, sickness. Seasons of spring, hope, new beginnings, opportunities. Season of summer, signs of growth, need for protection, abundance of distractions. Season of fall, which we're in now, successes and achievements. What does that mean to you personally? 
we're so external. At least I could be. I do my best not to because I need to go inward because I have seasons of my soul, seasons of my spirit. Take the time to go within. It's important. I think it's the seasons of our heart. Have you lost someone recently? Have you had a friendship that of many years that just died on the vine that you missed or had a misunderstanding? This could be the winter of the relationship and where you get a renewal in the spring because you've done you've both done some work either through forgiveness, acknowledging significant events that you appreciate and don't want to lose the relationship or it's time for forgiveness. Where are you in that? So this is important time. Season are, seasons are not just what should I wear because it's too cold or too hot or whatever. It's for your heart and soul. So think about that for today. And in the meantime, I am going to introduce our awesome guest. I love the people I meet. And I've known Pamela for a little bit. We don't see each other all the time. I just knew her from a friend of a friend from Chicago and then California. Now we're both in California. So I've participated in some of the stuff, awesome stuff that you'll hear about in the podcast. And just, God, I just appreciate her so much. And it'll be great to get to know her even more. Let me tell you a little bit about her and then we'll go from there. Pamela Robbins is an enthusiastic student of continuous learning and personal growth and expansion through various forms of therapy, intuitive studies and guidance, healing work like breath, movement, sound and meditation and nature. She is an animal lover and advocate, as well as an entrepreneur, inspirational guide, speaker, teacher, healer, and author of Meditating with Animals, How to Create More Conscious Connections with the Healers and Teachers Among Us. The book was written after Pamela experienced a series of major life challenges in rapid succession. The loss of her mother after a long battle with cancer, her own cancer diagnosis two days after her mother's funeral, the breakdown of her marriage during her recovery from the cancer surgery, vocal cord paralysis, and making the decision to walk away from her home and businesses to save her life. These events literally forced her to let go of life as she knew it in order to rediscover herself and her passion for empowering others. Five years into that journey, she lost both her home and business in the Woolsey Fire in California, and credits her meditation practice for allowing her to move through this trauma with grace, inner strength, wisdom, and trust. Pamela has been guiding her growing community since 2016 through transformational healing journeys in nature at her house of Two Spirits Teepee on a ranch outside of Los Angeles. I experienced that and it is just wonderful. The coyotes howling. It was just beautiful time in nature. And that's where the fire was too. So it was devastating when I found out the teepee burned down. And there's so much more to say about Pamela and her life. And let's get to our, our podcast so we can learn even more about Pamela Robbins. Hi, Pamela. Hi, Charlene. Wow. So interesting. To, first of all, thank you for having me today. I'm so honored to share this time with you. And thank you for re reading my, my story back to me. I've never had that experience before in quite that way. So how was that for you? I was like, wow, she's been through a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I figured we couldn't talk through the whole, there's only so much time in a podcast. I go, I want to go through this. 
Yeah. And I love well, that because then they have a, a context about you. And then we go a little deeper in some hey, parts. I'm, of I'm it. here for it. Whatever you want. Good. Well, this is a time, as I said, we're in fall right now by the time everyone listens to this. And I think about you and your own summer, winter, spring, and fall, and through everything that you've experienced in life and how you walk through that and how you burst into who you are today because of it. That's why I was so enthusiastic about you being on today. So as you know, we talked before the podcast, it's what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and what you'd like to share about these experiences. First of all, we'll talk a little bit about your personal and then things you did to and you're doing now to help others walk through traumas, extreme losses, and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. Where would you like to begin? (laughs) How about we talked about you lost your mother recently, right? Seven years ago, excuse me. Seven years ago. And then you had your marriage. And like, what was your childhood like? Um, yeah, so that's interesting. I've been, I've been reviewing a lot of that lately because I think that's, that's had so much to do. Like there's, there's been, um, an ongoing evolution of grief in letting go of that part of my, my story, right. That part of my life that I really didn't have any control over, right. We're born into families that mother and father who have their own stuff going on and we're part of that. And, they're doing the best that they can. And, you know, it was also a different, a different time. I think all of these, you know, mental health support systems were not that they weren't, I I I just think that this, this part of our, it's been a great evolution and there's so much more available to us than there was then for them. And I have compassion for that piece of their journey, my parents, but yeah, I grew up in a, my father was abusive. He drank. He was a rageaholic, very controlling. And really the violence that transpired in my family, there were four children. You know, my mother was included in that, that she was a victim as well. So she wasn't able to protect us kids. And so it was extremely damaging. Your two primary caregivers not being people who protect you, rather the opposite, the people that you feel unsafe with. And that kind of became a theme in my life was, was being in these situations where, you know, where safety was an issue and whether that was emotional safety, physical safety, I'm starting to understand how that's played out for me. And that's been a great uh, piece of my, my healing. And, but yet without that, as part of my transformative years, I think that the work that I do now would not be at the depth of compassion and empathy that it is. So it is all perfect, all necessary. And I, I have, I'm finding peace with it. And the more layers of healing that I've done over the years, I find more and more peace with it. It just is, it is what it is. Yes. And what about adulthood? Let's Mm. talk about some of the things we discussed, even in this bio that I read about you and your marriage dissolving your kid. Well, before that, your mother, your cancer diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about walking through that? Yeah. So that was a really powerful time in my life. 
devastating and powerful at the same time. I had been in a marriage at that point for about 10 years, and it was time for me to evolve out of it. We had gone through all the therapy and all of the investigation that that was available to us. And I just felt that it was not healthy for me anymore. But I was also in a lot of fear and I didn't know how to leave. You know, I was naive in the sense that I thought, I'm supposed to be married forever. I've made this commitment. You work through things. And and I had done that, but there were addiction issues on the other side and that there wasn't, there wasn't any way for us to come together to overcome those. That was his work that he needed to do if he so chose that I could support, but that wasn't what was happening. And so what happened was the universe, as I see it, you know, the universe or whatever, you know, I want to credit for what came next was it got, things got real busy and it started with my, the passing of my mother. So my mom had been fighting cancer for 12 years and she had breast cancer that went into uh, bone cancer. And so that process was there's, you know, so many highs and lows and so many, you know, a surgery and then a, and then a treatment and then the medication and then periods where she was in remission and then a scare and then change of medications. And it kind of went on like that for years, but, you know, it never occurred to me that my mother wasn't going to be here with me, <laughs> oddly enough. But I remember this day, I was literally driving down one of the canyons and I was on a phone call with her and she said, I'm not taking this medication anymore, the tamoxifen. She said, the side effects are too much for me. I'm, I'm sick of it. I don't want to live like this. It doesn't feel good to me. And I knew what that meant. That meant that the cancer was going to come back. But I also knew, oh, I've never talked about this. I also knew that I needed to shut up about her decision. Like I literally needed to not talk about my opinion and how I felt about that because this was her choice. It was her body and her choice and her life. And that she felt that she had come to this crossroads. And I really wanted to be in a place of honoring that and honoring her bravery around that. And I thought that was more important than how I felt that I wanted my mom to be here, you know, forever. And, uh, and it wasn't long after that, that after she got off the medication, that the cancer went from her, her breasts into her bones and it happened really quickly. She just started to deteriorate. And, uh, I was at a, I remember the day that I got the phone call, like I had just been out to, I, so I was flying back and forth from LA to New Jersey to see her. And I'd been out there like on three trips, you know, and every time it was like something happened and I would jump on a plane and get out there. And then I'd been out there with, with her for about a week and a half, maybe it was a nice visit. I remember laying in bed with her, like she was the child and I was the mother. She was very frail and just, you know, napping with her, like I did when I was a child, except she was like the child, you know, and I was the comfort I was probably more of a comfort and understood more of what she needed than I think she ever did of even of me. But I was there to be present for her and hold that space for her and literally hold her. 
So we had this very special time together. I remember leaving her house to get on the plane that day. We were sitting on the stairs and she was holding my hands and she was like, please don't go. And I said, I'm going to be, I'm I literally, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take care of some stuff and I'm going to come right back. I will, I will just come right back. And in the middle of that conversation, her friend walked in and interrupted us, like interrupted that moment. And that was like my last in-person conversation with my mother. So I left, I went home, planned on going back. Like, like I said, in a couple of days, and I was actually driving out of, I've been with my horse at a competition and I was driving out of the fairgrounds and then my brother called me and he's like, mom is in a coma. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know? So I had to drive. So, the, you know, of course the tears start pouring down my face. I'm driving a, a truck and a, a trailer with a horse in it, six hours by myself, hysterical, crying, going like, what's even happening right now that I got home. I packed up my stuff and I got on the first plane and I went out. My mom was, was in that coma and she never came back to, to be present again. And so I watched the, the life go out of her body for the following the three days, four days that, that, that it took for that process to happen. And I realized how short life was. And I felt like that was her message to me. And it was like, that I needed to make some moves in my life. I was in a, let me ask you something. Things are coming up now. You had talked about, excuse me for interrupting, because I want to hear what you have to say. What was that? It's interesting that you remembered the last moment you talked to your your mother and there was an interruption. And this is where we talk about like unresolved issues, incomplete and what we can do. And this is just a teaching moment right now in this podcast is just when those things come up and you're starting to recognize it and it doesn't come up just once or twice, it comes up again and again. These are the times to start writing it down. And there's certain things you can do. And one of the reasons why we have this podcast is people don't know sometimes the next steps to take to get resolve and completeness in situations like that. must've been devastating. And then to witness your mother as a live person, but not physically who she was. What was that like for you? I mean. We have our shoulda, coulda, wouldas. If you were had to do it all over again, what are one or two things you wish you could have done? Well, you know, it's interesting because you know you're right. Like I haven't, I haven't talked about about that. I was, I was angry that not only that her friend just like burst into the house, but that she interrupted us and wasn't conscious of the fact that there was an exchange going on between my mother and I and the state that my mother was in and that I was leaving to go back home. And like, there was no awareness on her part whatsoever. I could have created an awareness around that and said, Hey, I need another minute with my mom. You know, I need some privacy with my mom. And I didn't do that. I didn't give myself what I needed. And instead, you know, I'm the peacekeeper and I'm the, you know, I didn't want to make her uncomfortable and whatever. So that was a real learning moment for me. I didn't take care of myself in in the moment when I, when I needed to. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah, of course. course. And after that, you, you found out your mother passed away. Well, so I was there. Yeah, I was there. We were, we were with her um, several days. She passed. Now 
I was also going through my own cancer discovery process. I did not share any of this with my mom. So I had the reason why I needed to leave her to go back to California was because I had two or three more tests that I needed to do for my thyroid and the cancer that they were looking into, like actually the cancer discovery, like it was nodules on my vocal cord. And most often, like 99% of the time, it's not cancerous. So I wasn't like a, a super concerned, but I was like, I gotta, I gotta see this through. And so I had to go back to take care of that. That was my primary thing. And I couldn't tell her. I didn't want to share any of that with her because I didn't want her to be worried about me. And so the morning that she passed, she passed at one in the morning and I had a biopsy scheduled at a hospital in New Jersey. The doctors here in LA, my doctor was like, you can't wait however many weeks you're going to be there or what's going to happen or whatever, like you need to do this. So I did that. And it happened to be the morning that my mom passed. And my aunt said to me, you know, you still have to go. I'm taking you to the hospital. So she passes at like 1 a.m. And then, of course, two, three or four in the mornings, it's all the, the people coming and taking her body and like all of that. So I didn't sleep, but I go off to the hospital. I'm having like an out of body experience. I'm having this needle stuck in my neck. And I just remember the technician going, that doesn't look like cancer. And I was like, Oh, good. You know? <laughs> um, so I had, a, I was kind of carrying this false hope, like, which I'm kind of grateful for, you know, whether he was, I don't know why he even said that oddly, you know, usually they don't say anything like that. Maybe he just felt sorry for me, or maybe my mom transmitted that through him to help me through the next 10 days. And maybe you needed that little bit of hope while you're walking and experiencing this devastating loss. Yeah. I mean, I was happy for it. It worked. It worked for me. <laughs> I would have been too. I'd be, you know, let me be in, you weren't in denial. It's just someone of a professional nature told you it's probably nothing. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I, I took it. So I went through the, the funeral and the funeral arrangements and all of that. And then, and then, and the experience of that. And then I went home and then two days later, the gynecologist who found the cancer in a regular screening, believe it or not, she called me and it was the, are you sitting down? Are you alone? And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> you know? And in that moment, I remember like literally my vision changed, like everything got more vivid. You know, I remember looking out the window and like the leaves on the trees were like glistening and like the sun was shining and it was brighter. Something, something magical happened. And she said, you know, you have thyroid cancer, it's on your vocal cord and you need to have surgery like immediately. So <clears throat> that's interesting. <laughs> so I went from trying to process my mom being gone to all of a sudden making phone calls and lining up this, the surgeon and the hospital and the dates and, you know, and all that. And so there went the grieving process with my mom and right into my own survival and the process of having the surgery. And then in the process of that, my vocal cord being paralyzed, 
because the nodules were attached to my vocal cords. So they actually had to just, they had to stretch it and then pull them off. And so the, my right vocal cord is still paralyzed. It always will be. It's the only nerve in your body that does not repair itself. Um, so in that time, when, when I had the surgery, it was very painful for, I was waiting for another surgery where they inject Juvederm into your throat area. Yeah. To push the nerve over so that it can interact with the other nerve because without it, it being in close proximity, I was having trouble breathing, trouble swallowing. It really hurt to talk. So I just was super, super quiet and allowing myself to heal. So my scar was, you know, was across here and it was, it was pretty large. And at that time, and let's see, it was about a week into the surgery. I discovered my, my husband having extramarital interactions. And I was like, you know, I think that I deserve more in life than this. We had been through all of the therapy. Um, this was not the first time this had happened. And I felt in a way, oddly, that it was like, in one hand, it was a stab in the heart. And in the other hand, it was a gift. And it was for me to decide. And I got down on the floor and I stayed there until I made the choice that when I stood up again, that I was going to make me the priority in my life and that I was going to have self-respect and self-care and self-preservation. And that moment in time changed the whole trajectory of my life. So shortly thereafter and during my surgery recovery, I decided that it wasn't healthy for me to be in the house and healing with his energy and what was going on with him. I didn't feel safe. And, you know, which again goes back to that early theme in my life. But this time as an adult, able to make my own decisions and take care of myself. So despite the fear, despite being, being stuck all those other the years before that, I was like, I'm done. And I made a choice to leave my dream home and to walk away ultimately a few months later from the businesses that we uh, co-owned and ran to save my life yes. and to rediscover myself because I had completely become immersed in a life that obviously was not resonating with me on any level. It had served me and there were times that were wonderful and exciting. And, you know, we had great adventures together, but when it was over, which was many years before it was actually over, I, I just wasn't able to move. And I think that's why I got so sick, why I got cancer. I was not uh, listening to my body. I was not taking care of myself. And so all of those things, as painful as they were, had to happen to move me. And so I'm grateful for all of them. I say like, life didn't happen to me. It happened for me because I wouldn't be doing any of the things that I'm doing today. And so I left that house. I rented a place. We eventually sold it. I got out of the businesses and I was like, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? And 
I remember there was a, a, a pivotal moment where I was recovering from a radioactive iodine treatment. That's what they do. That's the protocol for thyroid cancer. Oh. And so they put you into quarantine for a few days in your house. And so I was supposed to be not interacting with any humans and supposedly not any animals, but my cats were like going crazy because they couldn't come into the room to be in the room with me. And so I called the doctor and I said, can the cats come in? Because I literally can't keep them out of here. Like it's insane. And he said that it was okay. And so I let them in and they were, I was just laying in bed. I was trying to process like, and this happened within like two months. I was trying to process my mother's death, my cancer diagnosis and surgery, my husband's choices, and what ultimately then I chose to do out of that. And I was reeling. I mean, my brain could not, like, I, I would try to start to think about one of those things and it, it was overwhelming and it, I would just shut down. And so that's what was happening. I was laying in bed. I was in quarantine. My cats are laying on me. And I found myself in and out of these deep, medit- what I understand now is deep meditative states. I would just sit and I would be in this numbing silence and I would just be like kind of eyes half closed and staring straight ahead and, and, and just being with myself, just being in that space. And then I would close my eyes and I, I would sleep for a period of time. And then I would wake up again ish and I would be in this med- deep meditative state. And it was like back and forth, back and forth. And at one point I looked down and I saw my cats covering my body And because I had been in such a deep state of of meditation, I was able to see energy, their energy, like literally going into my body. Like I understood that that it was healed. They were healing me and their energy was, was, was actively healing me. And I thought at this, in the next moment, wow, (laughs) they are working so hard to, to heal me. It is what I want to give to them, the gift that I want to return to them when I'm stronger is I want to return that energy to them so that they do not become depleted and that they don't become sick from caring in this way for me. And so two months later, when I had moved out of the house, I literally had the book Meditating with Animals channeled through me. Um, And I believe now, or I understand now that it came like from all of the animals through my animals and then out through me, because when I wrote it, it was like three days and three nights of like insane writing. And I'm not a linear thinker, so I never intended on writing a book. And the way that it came out was kind of animal gibberish, but I somehow divined an editor who understood what I was asking help with was, which was to decipher this and to organize it and to help me to get this method out, which was the animal method. How did you find the editor? I mean, did it just happen to come? I was you seek out or ask people, Hey, I'm looking for an editor to Google. (laughs) Great. So you found an editor. Yeah. What an amazing experience with that, with the animals. And then what happened next? So I wrote the book and uh, with the guidance, uh, with the guidance of that editor and then another friend of mine who was in the publishing industry, we created a format for the book and and I I self-published. 
and it's been it's been out and I I love sharing it because it's it's animal stories and then it's also it's got simple meditations that we can do to deepen our connections and things that the animals are already doing with us that they would like us to do with them. And so I just share these simple things. And what I think it does is it helps awaken people to perhaps the fact that they're already doing these things. But when we, but when we amplify our awareness around our connections, they, they really can become even that much more intentional and meaningful. So an example, I'm walking down the street, or let me say this. One day I was in my yard. I'm throwing my ball, the ball to my dog. I went to go get another ball. So I ran out to it and I see a rat and he's dying from poison, right? I'm afraid of rats, but I looked at him and it was like, I had such care for the rats. Any other time I'd be afraid of them. I wasn't afraid, but I was like, boy, it gave me a message. I mean, is it something like that? Like pay attention. You know, I think about like two squirrels playing and what, what is your, can you give us a couple of tips? This came up for me when I, when you started talking about the rat I saw and how sacred I thought this is in the end of this rat's life and it's suffering because they probably poisoned them. Right. I just had so much compassion and then go ahead. I'm not the animal meditator or whatever, or that, yeah, but, but you are right. You were aware that something important was happening in that moment. I mean, it's, you know, in that I, what I always think is that I, I like to look up the spiritual significance of animals that cross my path, mm. um, you know, so what is the rat, but you're, you're talking about the rat dying. Like here you are, you're in grief work. So there may be something, you know, that rat was there to, to show you something about compassion, that your compassion could, could be like, I don't know what the significance of the rat is actually in this moment. I'm looking but, it up after this. <laughs> okay. Look it up right now. <laughs> but, but there's some, there's something there and, and it, and it could, it could be that your, your compassion, it's not about the vehicle, the rat, the person. It's, it's your understanding of grief globally. Uh, it's bigger than, the, than, than, than who is carrying it. It's, it's everyone carries grief. Everyone, ca- everyone is leaving. And the way that you didn't run away from that rat or, you know, <laughs> scream yeah, who knows? It's curse like it out. meaning in everything. Maybe yeah. your message is there's meaning in everything, even in the most horrible time of your life of loss. You know, there's meaning in everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to, I mean, after all of the, all of the things that I've, I've been through, you know, I, I, I often say that the most beautiful gifts come in the most not attractive wrapping paper, (laughs) the ugliest wrapping paper. And also I I'm curious, like who came up with the term good and bad, right? It's like, what if we like, we're living life and like these experiences that we're having are just experiences. And, you know, because the things that are, that don't feel good, we just automatically define them as being negative or bad. When, if we didn't have that weight put on them, what would they then be? They would be things that are uncomfortable, that cause discomfort and pain and sadness. And those, um, uh, that category of emotions, but ultimately those then transmute into other emotions of acceptance and love and softness and peace and peace 
and understanding and growth and expansion. Yes. While there's a time to grieve, it's also a time to embrace the sacredness of it. Like you were talking about your mother, you were with her. You got outside of yourself to be of service with her. And it takes a certain kind of training to be that. And then after your mother passed and you cared for her, you had a chance, albeit that you had the cancer diagnosis and all that kind of stuff. Who knows that isolation, parts of that isolation could be part of your grief work. You needed that gift to be alone, even though it wasn't (laughs) ideal at the time, but look at, you got a book out of it. You know, what was so interesting about that, and thank you for mentioning that, because that was a massive piece of discovery for me. The understanding that I had during that time where I was in isolation and I was in that long period of silence was that I had this, what I call like the 30,000 foot view of myself. And I understood that I didn't need to be in charge of this part of my grieving process, that my mind was sorting through the and filtering through each of the events that happened in its own way. And then I was sleeping and that was part of the process. Like that was shutting the mind down um, to allow it to rest. So the awareness that I had was that this miraculous vehicle that we travel around in when given space and given time and given compassion can support us in the grieving process and that it has its own process and that we can learn how to allow some of that natural process to happen within the process of the work like that you do. So it's, I think we just, we have to really have this I don't, we don't really have to do anything, but we can allow ourselves to have space and time and, and, and be in that place of compassion and wonder, you know, in awe at how we can process the depth of grief yes. orga- organically. Like and just be in the allowing of it. Sometimes we're not, we're right in our head. It's like sometimes just being the being of it. And I know I bring up the heart all the time, but it's just the very center of your being. They talk about people who are in palliative or maybe in hospice. They're sleeping all the time. I talked to a palliative nurse and I read some material on it and also talked to the palliative nurse. She says, it's not like nothing is going on. Lots is going, a lot is going on even while they're sleeping. So it gave me some sense of comfort. That something's recalibrating. Yeah. And who knows? I can't say what it is, but it gave me some sense and it made sense to me. And your own being in the isolation and then just in that being and that sleeping and the waking and the being and really fully being into 3000 feet above yourself or so. I know it's just a, uh, you know, I don't know if you didn't, you didn't measure the 3000 feet, but you were way up there looking at yourself, but you, it came to you that that was what was happening. And so that's the truth. Right. I don't need to understand everything. No. You know, I'm not, that's, that would be, I think I would take up too much time, you know, and that's, that's the part where I like to stay in the wonder of it all yes. um, and the allowing of it all. And just knowing that there's a lot more going on 
than we could ever even understand. But I understood that there was a process that was organically happening in my mind, with my mind and my body, and that I was in it. And, and it was really helpful. I think that, that it just, it, what it felt like was processing. It felt like mm, it's what I, it was what my mind and my body needed. And because I had to lay down anyway, or I had to be alone anyway, I was really given a gift of that, that insight. And then when I went through some other experiences that were traumatic after that, I went into it knowing already that how powerful my mind and my body were and that they were going to, that was my, they're my team, you know, that they were going, I was going to work with myself in a different way to process through some of the, the trauma because of, because of that. Yes. And I talk about the heart a lot and not to be in your head. I'm not saying not to be in the mind and the heart. They work together. It's like, what are you thinking? You know, as a fear-based worry-based and all that, in which we have that, that's, in our systems and sense of systems of emotion, but our mind and our heart, it's like your heart tells you something. The wisdom of the, the emotional body and the mind so much gets, gets so much of the attention and so much of it that, 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 that the body doesn't get to speak. This body doesn't get to have a voice. So it's really important to slow the mind down. And that's where meditation comes in. Right. And that was another gift. After I wrote the book uh, and published that, I started to get into yoga and then that led into meditation. And then a teacher, a spiritual teacher that I had been introduced to used a singing bowl, which is a crystal bowl. And she played a note, one note, one bowl right next to my head. And that sound filled my head and it brought me uh, a relief and release that I had never experienced in my life. Like it stopped all the thought for a moment and I could just go, oh. and my body was like, thank you. Thank you. Because the mind has, it was just working overtime to understand everything that the my every, every all of me was exhausted. So that one moment of relief changed my life. I was like, something really important just happened and I don't understand it. I don't need to in this moment, but I went and I bought a set of singing bowls. There's seven of them and they represent the seven energetic, the chakras, the energetic centers in our body. And I didn't know how to play them. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with them. And it didn't, and again, that didn't matter either. It was just, I was following my, the, the guidance of my heart at that point, that was not about my mind. And so I would practice yoga and I would play my singing bowls and the cats would come in and I saw, oh my gosh, they like, they love this. This is like relaxing to me and like there it's relaxing them. And then friends started asking me to play. They're like, what are those things? And so I would play and I started to understand and I would see people really having these experiences of like shock that they, people who thought they couldn't slow down, who thought they couldn't meditate, you know, much like myself could, because all sound healing is asking of you is to, to lay down and to allow your brain to have its thoughts, but then bring it back to the music, have a thought, 
bring it back to the sound. And in doing that, you start to slow the mind down. And when the mind slows down, the body starts to be, you get, you get to hear or experience what's happening in your body. And those messages can come through in many different ways. I mean, you can see colors or visions of things. You can have literal out-of-body experiences. You can have feelings of, I've had people tell me, you know, pain has left their body, like all kinds of, all kinds of amazing things have happened. And everyone's experience every time is always different depending on, on what's going on for them in that particular moment. But that modality for me really spoke to me. It allowed me because my voice was compromised at the time when I started learning how to play, it allowed me to speak the love that was being transferred through me I would say from source, from my life experiences, the love from my love was able to be transmitted through the vibrations and the sounds of the singing bowls and other instruments that I use. And I found that so powerful. I mean, I grew up playing the violin, the clarinet, the piano, so all very technical and very, a lot of perfection. So the beauty of this is that it's not coming from the mind, it's coming from the heart, it's coming from the soul, and it's coming from someplace deeper. And it's really powerful. It's very intentional. And it's a way I can share my love and, and my healing energy. And so I started to wonder at this point, like from my conversations with the universe, like, okay, it's been five years, going on six years. What is it that I am supposed to be doing? And I received back in a, in a, in the form of a download, which I've been receiving all of my life, which is, which is basically just information coming in and an understanding a knowing, and it was to get a TP. And I was like, at that point, I pretty much was like, okay. And so just as I had got the singing bowls, because I got that, that feeling in my heart, I got that feeling of like, yes, and I got this teepee and my friend owns a big horse ranch and my horse was there, my horse tuxedo, my greatest teacher, the love of my life. And so- uh, Pamela, I, can I interrupt you for a minute? People from course. all over the world listen to our podcast and a teepee is an American thing. It's where the, the American Indian- Live. Who were part of the early part, you know, lived in our country before even we settled in it. They had teepees. How would you that 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 they were housed in? How would you describe what a teepee is if you never heard of one? Well, it's can the material is it's canvas, mm-hmm. and there are very well they were in all shapes and sizes, but poles in the in the foot in a circle, right? So the poles are going from they're put in the ground, and then they're they're meeting up at the top in kind of a triangle, if you will, like in a flat sense, a triangle, and the canvas is laid over those. And you can be protected from the elements within the walls of them. They're sacred structures. My CP is, it's, um, it's not an Airbnb. It's not, um, there's no, there's no drugs or alcohol or anything. It's strictly for ceremony. And what I have done with it is that I painted my story on the walls of the TP. My horse is tuxedo is painted on the side. I have the coyotes, as you mentioned earlier, that that are all over that the hills and that land on that ranch. And, and that ranch is at the very end of a road that leads out to a very large uh, public park, like a space, like a state park. So 
we get deer, we have coyotes and hawks and owls and ravens. And, you know, it's so busy there with, and then also the sounds of the other animals on the ranch, the donkeys, the horses, the cows, the chickens, the sheep. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing orchestra. But on the TP is my horse, the coyotes, deer, the ravens, crescent moon, and also a phoenix, which we'll get to, and red triangles. And the red triangles represent the fires and the mountains that came through that area and took the first teepee down, burned it down. And also that's when I lost my home as well and everything I own. Uh, that was the end of, of 2018. And the second teepee actually has a phoenix painted on the back where the coyotes are singing up to the phoenix. And I tell people the story of the land. My horse picked that spot. Um, that land has, for the last you know, six years, has, has been in the process of healing me. And this is my way of also giving back to the land. And the animals love it. We have so many animal visitors that participate in, in, in our ceremonies. I was gifted the way that I run these ceremonies through the energy that lives on that land and is present. So I hold a circle and there's, there's sharing of voices and story, which is medicine. And then I take people on guided meditations where I connect them to the heart of the earth and the sky. I allow them to become one with nature and to melt into mother earth, to release, to relax, to breathe to be at peace with themselves for the time that we have together. And then I take them into a sound healing meditation. And then they're able to share at the end of that experience again in the circle. And what it does is it's created community. It's created connection. And I am there to, I've created, I've been gifted that space by whatever the powers that be the unseen and it, it's really uh, an honor to be doing that work there in the way that it's been given to me to, to do it. I never imagined that I would be doing any of this in this form. If all of those things hadn't happened exactly as they did, I would never be doing this. But I've now had thousands of people come through this space who have said it is their home, it is their safe and sacred space, as it is mine. You know, that was really what the gift was, what the, was that this space was for me to continue my healing. And it's for also for me to share so that others can show up and heal themselves, right? So I'm not there to heal anyone. I am there to empower people to heal themselves, I am just the holder of the space and the creator of the experience and all that energy runs through me. And so it's a, an incredible way to live my life. I'm super grateful to have had everything that's happened happen and, and lead me to where I am today. Which is a beautiful place. Now, what would you say to someone in the Midwest or somewhere, you know, just in their home, they're going through this time of great trauma and loss or whatever it is they're going and they we all need our sacred space would you suggest any what's one or two things you could suggest someone can do at home take a bath make an altar this is you know i try not to talk too spiritual or religious or whatever everybody has their own path but what would you say just and the physical part what kind of space would help for someone to create in their own home or ritual they can do in their own home to get into their bodies and yeah. Yeah. Well, I love candles. You know, I mean, everyone's probably got a candle 
but it's the intention behind the candle, the lighting of the candle. It's, you can light the candle and you can close your eyes and you can use that opportunity to take a deep breath and fill up your body and feel the air filling up your body. And then releasing that breath and allowing intentionally allowing things that you've been carrying that day with you that are causing you stress one by one, you can intentionally watch them float away or you can send them into the flame, breathing in and filling up with air, breathing out and releasing that stress, that person, that situation that happened, letting it go into the flame, right? It reminds me of just refreshing refresh yeah. just getting fresh breathing is breathing's amazing say that again i'm sorry Pam. when we're stressed we forget to breathe and we're all really stressed you know we're all really stressed and you know i'm grateful that i have i have been met meditation as part of my everyday life but man i mean this is this has been ongoing uh stress and challenge for all of us so so candle lighting and and some breathing would be great even like going and looking out the window, like, what do you see? Like just connecting with something outside, um, you know, whether it's a bird or a tree and just, again, just taking a moment to just breathe and intentionally connect. I mean, usually there's a tree around or something. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I remember when I was really young, six or seven years old, I was standing at the window in my, the house I grew up in. And I was called to the window and I would just stand there and stare out at this, the trees across the street. But it was in that process that I was given an understanding, which was uh, the understanding of energy and that how, when people die, that they're not really gone. Their energy lives on through us and the love that they gave us in the teachings that the wisdom that they've shared with us the way that they were and that, so they're never really gone. Now I was like six or seven years old and I got that from standing in a window, like looking out at a tree. Right. So I think there's something that can be, if you're, you know, and maybe you don't know why you're being called to do something, or you might doubt some information that comes in because we've been programmed to uh, have checks and balances. You know, the mind does these things, you know, where it negates, those types of experiences. But, you know, from a very young age, I was able to enjoy experiences of like deja vu and having this knowing and these experiences happening that I didn't, I felt like I, I didn't need to understand or discuss with anybody. I didn't need to take it to an adult and say, Hey, like I, Hey, I'm having these dreams. And then I would have a game that like every three days, um, that dream would, would be something that happened. So what was happening first, you know, was I creating it? or, you know, was my dream, you know, I don't know. But all I know was that I felt like I lived in a magical world and that I wanted to, and now I've kind of come full circle through all of the life experiences to living in that place. You know, the more that I'm, I'm with nature, the more that I'm with the animals, the more that I'm playing my music, the more that I share the things that I create, my sage bundles and crystals, the more the more that I, you know, I work with my hand and make art and like move around in a world that feels really finally comfortable to me, you know, at, at 53 years old, you know, I'm finally comfortable in my body. I'm finally comfortable in, in, in the life that, you know, this is where I was always coming to, which just took a, it was, it was a really crazy journey to get here, but it all makes sense now. 
And yeah. every experience that I had, every job that I had, every, every, everything, everything, all of it is it's, it's part, it's earth school. They can't teach you this stuff <laughs> anywhere. And so, you know, what I have to share, my currency is energy. And that's, oh, that's, that's a beautiful my, way of putting it. Yeah. My gift is love. So. Well, on that note, I know there's some great things happening on your TP. We have your website that's going to be on the notes. Anything else? I think there's another book coming up, but we're not going to talk about that now. And anything else you're doing? Well, thank you for the tips. And also, if you want it so simple to get out of our ego or afraid of what people think about us, go to a tree, go hug it and time yourself one minute and just hug that freaking tree. And I'm not talking, you know, people make fun of California, a bunch of tree huggers. (laughs) But there is energy. Get outside of what your norm is. It will change you. It will recalibrate you. Stop worrying about what other people think or how you should be. Like you're missing moments. You know, like with your mother, somebody came in and during that time, who knows how you're going to happen. But I'm sure if it happens again, you'll ask this person, can you come back? Sometimes during that time, yeah. You know, you won't do that again. Well, no. Can I share a quick story? This is yeah. what I was telling you about earlier. So be, I think, and it's interesting now that I, and, and literally in this moment, I'm putting these two things together. So that happened and that affected me deeply was not speaking up for myself. So my mom's cousin who's still alive, Gloria, every anniversary of my mother's death, Christmas, Easter, like everything. She's on the East Coast and I'm here on the West Coast, which is a three hour time difference. So every anniversary of my mother's death, she sends a text and says something like, peace be with you or, you know, or something like that. So I wake up and I, you know, I look at my phone and then I'll see first thing, like a message from Gloria. And I know that it has to do with my mom and something about my mom's passing, like her birthday or anniversary. So I have to then think like what like what day is today and I'm like oh it's her this recent one was it was the anniversary it was September 10th it was the anniversary of her death and what happened for me was that I I was triggered as I am every time I get a message from her and I started like literally even now as I'm talking about it my heart's racing because what it does is it forces me into having an experience and it forces me into a remembering on her timeline, on her agenda. And so, whereas if I didn't receive that message at some point throughout the day, I may or may not have realized that it was my mother's death anniversary. I would remember my mother's birthday and, you know, things like that, you know, at some point during the day, a soft remembering, which Mm -hmm. is what works for me. So, after seven years of this, and my sister and I have an ongoing thing about messages from Gloria, I decided that I was going to send her a loving note and, and create a boundary because I, I realized that I was not only being triggered, but it was, it was creating a trauma response. There was something there for me to heal, but I needed to do it in my own way. And I needed to protect my emotional body, which from the anxiety that I was having, my heart racing the feelings that, that it was, it was telling, this is not right. This doesn't feel good. And I'm like, my duty is to listen to the messages of my body and to say, I am here. I am listening. What can I do to help you? And what came back to me when I did that was I needed to create a boundary and I needed to ask her not to send those messages to me anymore. And I did it from a place of love. I said to her, 
Gloria, I love that you remember my mom in this way and that this is important to you. And that's really meaningful, you know, to me that you're, that you are keeping her, that this is your way of keeping her memory alive. And I appreciate that. And I honor that you do that. However, that's your process. That's the way that you're handling your grief. The way that I'm handling my grief is different. And I have to be really tender with myself, even though seven years has passed, it's still really painful. And I need to wake up softly. And I need to be in my own space with my grief on these, on these days. So thank you for understanding that I need this to not have these messages wake me up <laughs> in the morning anymore. And we can each remember her in our, in our own way. And I'm like, I'm saying this with love. And I'm saying it with gratitude and understanding and compassion for you and what you're experiencing with, with her loss. But I have to also take care of myself. And she wrote back that she understood and that she wouldn't send the messages anymore. And, you know, I'm okay with the small amount of discomfort that that might have created because that's me taking care. That's me. That's like me getting real messages from from myself and honoring that and caring for myself in a way that I, I wasn't able to when I was younger. So, well, that is a great end of our podcast and great message for anyone feels that they don't quite trust their own discomfort or their own self-care. And some of us could have some of our listeners, they don't trust their feelings or, or know how to express it without reacting in a negative way. You can do it in such a, uh, a gentle way. I love that you, I've always seen you as a gentle woman. I'm not saying that you're not a tough one, but you're a gentle woman. And I love what you do. And with the sound bass and everything else and look at her website, beautiful stuff coming. I have a feeling she's going to maybe do a sound bath audio thing one of these yes. days, which will be beautiful. If anybody's never done a sound bath, go on Google. Pamela doesn't have it on your website. I, yes. actually, I have one. Uh, there's a recording on my website, oh, great. Downloaded, but also on YouTube. There's one that I recently did um, with there's what there's one recording there that I think that would be enjoyable. Also on my Instagram, I have a few on there as well. Okay. So look under Pamela Robbins, R O B I N S. Okay. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you, our listeners. We so appreciate it. Remember, we're on all the podcast platforms. Also on Facebook, there's a grief recovery now private Facebook group. Please, please, please come join us. All you have to do is like you'd like to join, you know, just go on the search and I'll admit you. It's just a great thing. I love it. And I love our little community. And that's growing. And please listen and share our podcast. We'll see you later, everybody. Thank you again. Peace, love, and harmony. And again, thank you, Pamela. <laughs> Thanks, Charlene. Bye. Bye. Till next time. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, 
please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you. 